Welcome to the worst roller coaster podcast on the internet. Now, let's join Ben and Zach as they tell you why your favorite coaster sucks. Hey, I'm Zach, and I silenced the entire room at No Coaster Con 2007. Hey, I'm Ben. I got kicked out of West Coast Bash 2009, personally, by Rob Alvey. <laughs> wow, dude. All right, so story time. Who who goes first? Ah, go ahead. We were both there for both stories, so. True. These weren't personal stories. We were both there. That's true. But I know Coaster Khan was funny. Tell that one. Yeah, all right. So uh, at No Coaster Con, for anybody in the audience not familiar, it's uh, in the Midwest region here. The Ace, Ace region has a off-season event in mid-January. So it's very cold outside. But Yeah, it's like the coldest time of year. Yeah, dude, it's terrible. <laughs> I remember being out there with you smoking cigarettes in that freezing cold. Yeah, and it's like it also doesn't help that it's a kind of a shitty hotel in a really oh. non-walkable, boring part of town. So you just it's very like isolating. It's like you're locked in. Anyway. Yeah, dude. So it's just like very urban sprawl hotel. And it's dead of winter, coldest time of year. And every park within what, like an eight hour driving distance? Yeah, it's like the Great Lakes region parks plus, yeah, probably eight hours. It's kind of like whatever, whatever's got something new usually. But anyway, yeah. So back in 07, uh, Kentucky Kingdom was still owned by Six Flags. And this was right after they had that accident. And the ride was standing but not operating at that time. So they were doing a presentation and they asked, does anyone have On, any questions? Oh, wait, go well, ahead. Also, by the way, they were they were doing a presentation about a toilet bowl slide that they had a 15-minute um, like promo uh, skit where... An old woman, an older woman, middle aged, who I'm gonna guess around three thirty, three forty lbs, wearing a fucking ducky like inflatable tube around her gut, but like it really wasn't. It was above her gut, obviously, so it was more like around her boobs. And she was wearing flippers. Remember that? <laughs> and they were trying to get us. They were all trying to get us to chant. Um, the six. They were trying to get us to do the six flags thing. Remember they were showing pictures of like, they showed like a picture of a swing set and they wanted us to be like one flags and then like a picture of something else and two flags. And then they wanted us to chant six flags, a a fucking toilet bowl slide. (laughs) It was a disaster. Anyway. Yeah, they did a very long presentation for that dumbass ride. They, They didn't know what they were getting into. They probably had no idea like what, to expect at this conference. Yeah. So then they took questions and of course my 18 year old ass, <laughs> or maybe tail end of 17 at that point, uh, said, what's going to happen with the, 
Superman Tower of Power, or whatever the name of the ride was. Didn't you say Footprint? I don't remember. Like, what's going in the spot of the footprint for Superman? Or something? Yeah, like something. I asked about the ride. Yeah. And there was kind of like a, ooh. And they were and they were shocked. Like they like the look on their face was like they had no idea how to respond. Like, oh, we're gonna go to a presentation of coaster enthusiasts, and we're not expecting to have a question asked about the fucking ride that you know chopped the girl's legs off. Poor planning. Yeah, their marketing team did not know what they were getting into presenting at that event but also i kind of figured like if i didn't ask that somebody would have yeah i think everyone wanted to ask it but then everyone was also like uh they were shocked that somebody asked it at the same time it was like one of those situations yeah like i mean to be fair i was genuinely curious yeah, I mean, it's a big plot of land. It's like, you know, right at the entrance. I guess it's not big, but it's at the entrance. I think they I think, I think they put a fountain there. Oh, well, I mean, that's nice. I wasn't intending to be a troll. Yeah, right. <sighs> well, fine then. I know I was there for it, but tell me about getting kicked out of West Coast Bash. <sighs> Technically, so yeah, so uh, at the time, West Coast Bash was a, an event hosted by the park. And so you could buy a ticket for the event online. So a buddy of ours, uh, the three of us were all going, and this is in 2009, and he brought these printed tickets for West Coast Bash. Now, he had a, ref- he had a full refund by the park um, a couple of days before the event. So the tickets technically weren't valid. Um, so, but we ended up buying general day admission tickets for the park. And so we were in the park the same day as West Coast Bash, which was then hosted by Rob Alvey and Theme Park Review. So halfway through the day, they were doing a, like, I don't know, what was it? Like some kind of Q and a session, video screening park presentation inside of one of the theaters and so we we had the tickets in our hand, like the printed West Coast Bash tickets. So we got into the event. So like we went to the front door, showed them the pieces of paper, and they were like, oh, yeah, 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 just go right inside and find an open seat. We're going to start in 15 minutes. <laughs> so we sit down, and all of a sudden you see Rob Alvey from the back of the room, like like stand up abruptly. And he brings one of the, um, like, probably one of the marketing people or whoever, like, with him. And he just walks up to us and he's just like, him, him, and him. And then he kind of turns around and walks away. Um, Because he didn't even, like, address us. And he didn't say anything to us. And then the marketing guy's just like, oh, uh, yeah, like, you guys can't be in here. Like, the dude didn't really care. Um, It was a good time. And then... I got my Superman the Escape credit by sneaking into the ERT for West Coast Bash. I uh, I used a friend's lanyard and got in. So, And you were super nervous about it, too. Well, that's because Rob Elvey got in line right behind me. 
so he clearly knew who I was. Like he could recognize me. Um, but I got on, I got the credit, nothing happened, but it was a good time. So yeah, let's, let's, we're going to watch this arrow documentary and (laughs) see what happens. All right. Yeah. So we both have the legacy of arrow development documentary pulled up on YouTube and we are going to do our best to do a a commentary of sorts on it real quick. I want to give some shouts to friends of the show, uh, coasterradio.com podcast on Twitter, uh, John Rev photography on Instagram, Larson loopers on YouTube and Twitter, uh, the drunk riders podcast. They're also on Twitter and El Toro Ryan on YouTube and on Instagram. And of course, check us out on all the social media. Because we're there. Alright, so, you want to start this thing up? Yeah, so I'm going to have to I'm gonna have to hit play on two. So, I'm watching it on my laptop and listening to it with my phone. So, I got to hit these at the right time. It's going to be tricky. Okay, you count it down then. Okay. So, <laughs> we might have to redo this. So, okay. One, two... Three. Holy shit, I think that worked. <laughs> I'll tell you when the audio kicks in on mine. Here, I'm just going to count up. California. Population 74, Holy shit. Center of technology. I'm hearing it from type of revolution being pioneered here. your side, I think, so William we're queued up. The seed which grew into Silicon Valley... The Santa Clara Valley was primarily known as an agriculture. Okay, what what's your? I guess it doesn't matter. Two, we're, we're we're probably close enough. Strategically important. Counting wise. A hotbed of growing military. I'm at 35, 36, 37, 38. Yeah, I'm exactly with that. As you were saying it. Okay, cool. In particular. All right, so let's learn about some arrow. If you visited an amusement. Real quick, uh, what are you drinking on? You've been touched. Uh, it's a Manny's Pale Ale. Brewed. I guess locally in Washington. Right on. I got a Pabst. Nice. Okay. I'm going to mark time. One minute exactly. Yeah. All right. We're in the intro here. Humble beginnings. The year is 1945. World War II is over. The post-war prosperity has barely begun. Of course, got to get that cheesy license-free music in there. I know, right? It's not that much to use licensed music, actually. With all the labor unrest at Hendy. Like, I thought it would be a lot of money, but it's actually... It's, you can get some for, like, 20 bucks. Because they're just, like, one, anyway, like, one-time use things. <laughs> Look at this picture. And decide to create their own they went on Fiverr for this. The four men decide to settle on a plot of land, just one train station to the north of there now. This sounds like one of those old Cedar Point videos. Yeah, it does. One of the things that sticks in my mind is that um, the original plant in Mountain View, the way that they um, got the... I wonder if he's really into roller coasters, or if he just sort of like fell into the business. ...enough money to build the building, so they found a guy who wanted to go into the business of making um, cinder I feel like... Buildings. And this is right after he's probably just like found his way into the business yeah i also was undercapitalized 
So they poured a little concrete slab and had just one electrical outlet and uh. one welding machine. And so on the concrete slab outside, they fabricated the molds for the uh, concrete blocks. And of course, my dad and Carl and, and the other guys who were involved then were always very creative and they came up with a better way to make the molds. I just think it's funny that like and they have no knowledge of roller coasters when they started. And made all the blocks for their building. Yeah, they didn't even make roller coasters to begin with. From concrete mold making to roller coasters. All this new enterprise. When their lawyer and that's why we got so many well-built, high-quality, long-standing transitions. Yeah. Rides that will last literally a lifetime. And that is how the world's most famous amusement ride manufacturer... To Arrow, the king of transitions. The four men began by selling surplus machine tools. Their first big contract was an oven for the U.S. Navy. <laughs> surplus machine tools. Four years, <laughs> oven. Did almost anything which would bring in a dollar. Fabricating replacement truck parts, foreign car repair and restoration, and... Maybe they used that oven on one of their rides. <laughs> In San Francisco. They just came short of saying that they hoard themselves out. For Dude, that guy's a nice ass. Zay, that <laughs> Customers begin to comment on how well-built and reasonably priced their products are. Arrow's quality workmanship and attention to detail stands out from the other manufacturers of the time. And it won't be long before it catches the eye. Oh, wow, it didn't kill anybody within three years. <laughs> The theme park era. For years, Walt Disney had been looking for ways to allow. I was like, "Oh God, Hitler!" Oh, it's... all the magic of the movie <laughs> made him one of the most famous people on Earth. As the story goes, Walt took his daughters to that a ride. Looks awesome. Looking for family. Oh, that uh, nothing turbine. Nothing. I think safe. there had to be. Is that when and he, that like, coaster looks awesome too? Yeah. Wife Lillian, that oh my God! Yes. Amusement park. She reportedly replied. Why would you want to build one of So I just learned that they actually auctioned off that roller coaster. His vision was like um and that's really? how, and that, I think that's how Great Escape got it. Arrow wanted to help. Well then they obviously they only used like whatever the first drop or something. Dude, comment no, comment no, 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 no. I'm mixing it up. Yeah. WEDs Dick Irvine. Never mind. I don't know what I'm talking about. Other amusement parks for ideas on how to build his. Whoa, that ride looks awesome. Fairyland in Oakland, where he saw Arrow Sternwheeler in action. Yeah, wooden coasters back then were so much seemed like really steep. Interested in Little Bell, and just crazy. Yeah. By their antique cars, Arrow didn't just get a single contract from Disney. They eventually got six. Worth a quarter of a term. Arthur Carousel. Snow White's Scary Adventures. Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. And this just goes to show you train. that Disney has never been about Elephant. like ride mechanics or engineers and imagineering. Right. From Arrow Shop in Mount They're just like, what's going to get the job done? Opening. Despite the naysayers, Walt's Folly would eventually open on July 17th. 1955 and it was a very interesting first day in front of and behind the scenes soaring temperatures no working water fountains counterfeit tickets and a gas leak were just some of the issues the park faced so not much has changed came courtesy of dumbo flying elephant 
While Arrow had built the ride system and hydraulics, Disney built the elephants. Making Dumbo's ears move had increased the weight of the cars. And the fact that it worked that way for so long is incredible. The hydraulic lifts. An ex-NASA engineer... So it hasn't been rebuilt? ...using a type of hydraulic accumulator, which let the hybrid... No, it has since then. Oh. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like they that they would just, like, build a new one of those every, whatever, 10 years or something. ...around and around, that gas expanded and turned the hydraulic fluid into brown foam-like shaving cream. Arrow's Paul Harvey had to constantly skim the foam off the fluid tank after nearly every ride cycle. Which car hey, Paul, go skim the foam. Milking <laughs> the elephants, unquote. Milking oh. the elephants. <laughs> ...survived Black Sunday, and in the months to come... You know anything about milking the elephants, Ben? Not elephants. And while Dumpa was down for a month, Walt was impressed with... Er I feel like, well, like, as far as, like, gay terms, I feel like elephant should be more of a lesbian identification than a gay identification. To build the ride systems for several more legendary... Then milking an elephant is a totally different thing. Right. Venture through inner space. What the fuck is that? Alice in Wonderland. The Haunted Mansion. The Midget Autopia. And the infamous Flying Saucers. Now, it had two parts. It had a vehicle, which was very simple, and then it had this very... I like his last name, Grr. A floor deck that underneath was this <laughs> air chambers that would allow air to go from these uh, chambers... Hello, Mr. Grr. ...to support the bottom of the flying saucer when it would pass over the openings. It's a big but air hockey table. Mm -hmm. with, a, with a certain uh, uh, closure rate. Carl Bacon was the inventor of that. It was the simplest doggone thing. Now, the car was completely simple. It was one of my favorite designs because I did the styling of it. It's a car with no moving parts. Nothing can break. I was delighted to have designed the flying saucer. I'm like, you want to bet? That flying saucer is patented to me by the U.S. Patent. That's not still there, is it? Same time, Arrow no, ran their but they have small the new version oh, of okay. it now. Playtown. Located <clears throat> next to Town and Country Village Shopping Center. Yeah, they actually make those for uh, ice rinks now. Trains and boat rides, as well as their aeroplane. Interesting. Yeah, so it's like bumper boats on ice. Walt said Disneyland would never be finished, and as the park grew, he often tinkered uh. to make them better. But one attraction in particular was in need of a tune-up: the Autopia. Guests were damaging the cars much faster than expected, and worse, they were damaging the employees. After a visit to the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk, Walt saw Arrow's unique... There's a great shot in that Imagineering series where this kid rams the shit out of another one of those cars with a kid in it. Two people could ride it. Very similar to the ride that Disney had when they opened up the Tomorrowland. I would say it was around 1963, give or take. We knew Walt Disney was coming. I think I've been on. I think I've been on that when I was a kid. Ride, because we had a unique guidance system. We had a center rail that gave the car the ability to go so far to the left, so far to the right. Different from what he had down at Disneyland. So the understanding that we had was he was coming to look at that guidance system, and that cars were made by Arrow. Thanks to Arrow's work at Santa Cruz, Walt had found his solution to Autopia's problem. Ever since the park opened, Walt was also perturbed. Yep, there's just Disney being a thief again. ...as a make-out location inside his family-friendly park. 
He also wanted to improve the look of the towers for the Von Roll Design Skyway. Because he had just finished production on his latest film, Third Man on the Mountain, the Alps were still strong in Walt's mind, with one peak in particular standing out. Walt figured he could plus three things at once. Eliminate Holiday Hill. Is that a... The Skyway support. That pirate ship, I wonder what that was. But what type of... Is that like some... Yeah, that looks is that like cool. A, I wonder if that was like a Captain Hook thing. Walt wanted to use real snow and ice for a bobsled-themed ride, which was deemed impractical. It must have been before Pirates of the Caribbean. But others at Disney had been seeing magazine articles on a novel new roller coaster design. Known as a wild mouse, it featured hairpin curves and drops. Perfect. I love how they just, this is like, did you just notice that that was current? This is like current footage. Traditional roller coaster track. There were like three people in the ride line on an iPhone. Couldn't be twisted without kinks and buckling. <laughs> and Carl began to look just made a black yeah. And working for Disney meant one thing and one thing only. As far as, I won't call them inventions, but ideas coming to fruition, we either had to come up with them or else. Looking around the shop, one of them suddenly had an epiphany. There was one shape that would stay uniform when bent into a twist or a curve. A round tube. Tubes could be bent in any direction, even through compound curves. Yeah, they can be bent in any direction, but they can't bend them in any direction. To the shop's pipe bender would deliver the necessary results. And they were like, you can do this. Arrow on several of their other attractions. The basic wheel design that had been a staple of roller coasters for over 50 years would also have to be changed. The trucks would have to pivot independently. Urethane tires were substituted for steel ones, which smoothed and quieted the ride. That'd be fun to have. I, 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 I kind of want an arrow wheel. Steel track roller coaster. Only because they're going to all die. Track challenge now solved, Arrow went to work. Bending the tubes into what would become a thrilling bobsled well, through the Alps. Try and scour eBay. Matterhorn was a curious project from the standpoint that uh, I didn't like roller coasters one bit, but Walt told me I'm going to design uh, both the preliminary uh, shape of the car and I'm going to also design the course line for the track. While the decision had been made with Carl and Ed at Aero Development up here in uh, Mountain View that uh, they were to manufacture whatever we came up with, and that included the body of the car and also the track course. Yeah, Matterhorn actually looks really cool without the mountain. System. Tires rubbing against the bottom of the cars, which allowed multiple trains to run simultaneously, which greatly increased capacity and preserved safety. Dude, so they invented the block system. It's a block brake system and is standard on roller coasters worldwide. After all the planning and adjustment, I wonder how the block brakes work on that ride, though. Because aren't they just like rubber? I thought they were like rubber stoppers and yeah. tires. Becoming the world's first yeah. tubular steel roller coaster and setting the stage for half a century of roller coaster design. During this immense time of growth, <laughs> the tires like roll backwards. <laughs> Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk's auto race. Every time I see this footage of like people in the 50s and 60s, it's like for Blackpool Pleasure Beach. I guarantee all the people in the video are dead. built children's fairy tale theme in San Jose, California. Like Hollow Arrow built the legendary Danny the Dragon, one of two such rides built. Unfortunately for Arrow, despite selling to other parks and helping Disney realize his dream, they still struggled financially. 
the company lost money on every opening day attraction for Disneyland. <laughs> Walt found out. He was dismayed. Being the man that he was, he wrote a check to cover the difference and also purchased a one-third stake in Arrow. Walt was a businessman first, and he recognized how critical that little Mountain View company had been to his success. By purchasing part of Arrow, he could ensure they would be around to help him continue to be successful. With the new capital, Arrow built and moved into a newer, larger facility. Here, at 1555 Plymouth Avenue. Yeah, and they, 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 they had to be there every time Walt had any kind of problem with the ride. Location, there was a lot more space to build, and more importantly, to test. Every park has an arrow. That probably won't be true in like two years, though. Texas businessman Angus Wynn contacted Arrow in 1962, hoping to bring some. It's surprising there's still so many around. Theme park, Six Flags, yeah. Texas, celebrating the Six Nations. That oh, look at that! Home state. That was one of those. Uh, they had one of those Schwarzkopf uh, a year ago coasters. He won. And he already like that. I wonder if that was Zan, that Zam Benny Zinger, or whatever that was at Worlds of Fun. Carl Bacon crafted a modern, safer version of a. I didn't see. Did you ever it. see that? No, I didn't see it. Oh, so, yeah, so like they had one of those Aeros or uh, Schwarzkopf spiral coasters, but it was um, it was like Wizard, but it was a terrain coaster. Oh, sick. Using their so it had a straight down drop, and then it had a bunch of like trenches and stuff that would go through. But it, the aerial shot of the over Texas, it showed one of those spiral coasters too. In the spring of 1963, Six Flags Over Texas pulled back the curtain on one of the most popular theme park attractions of all time, El Aceradero, the world's first. I'm gonna grab a beer. Aside from like the roller coaster, this is the go-to ride that was the big crowd. <laughs> no one had ever seen anything like it. Like, no joke necessary. And it became, we got to go do this. And then you wanted to go back to it because everyone loves it. Not just the kids, not just the thrill seekers, but it just had a wide audience. It became a staple for the amusement industry that everyone had to have one in their park. But I'm glad we had an expert. <laughs> to say that. Bloom had its share of problems. During testing, it was discovered that the final splashdown wasn't long enough to slow the logs down. So, being the tinkerers they were, Arrow made the bottom of the splash pool deeper and redesigned the logs' boat nose to redirect the water forward, which helped to slow them down and also made for wetter guests. However, in the Texas heat, there weren't many complaints. Our El Asadero ride is definitely one of the most popular attractions here at the park, especially once you hit the hot days of summer. The ride proved so popular, the park was forced to build a second flume right next to the original, just to handle the crowds. Of course, Walt Disney hadn't forgotten that he owned one-third of Arrow. He was being wooed by Pepsi to create a ride pavilion for them at the 1964 World's Fair in New York. And he needed something fast. After the crash, what's up with this music? With dynamics while developing El Aceradero, both Bacon and Morgan devised a novel way it's of keeping a large license free and copyright free by adding two guides below the boat. In 1964, at Flushing Meadows in New York, guests were welcome to the happiest cruise that ever sailed. 
It's a small world. <laughs> this music. They're like they were going through a catalog. Yeah, it is not. And they were like, world. "What sounds most like it's a small world?" Testing the small world system out. It was. They they just like gave up after like the sixth track. It was like, ah, good enough. I discovered then that Walt Disney. Yeah, they're like, yeah, you know what? Here, this one sounds vaguely childish. Whatever. That was a foot above water. So. Did they just like record this guy before he died? Like, hey, in 30 years we might have a documentary. Probably. Somebody did an interview or something. The next year, Disney again kept Arrow busy with yet another water ride. This time, a thrilling flume, complete with splash. Holy shit, Disney aged more than anyone else in that company. Did you see that? Dude, he had like lung cancer. Hired its first degreed engineer. Oh. Well, now I feel like an asshole. Valentine Tumor. After a decade without anyone on staff. Well, he was racist, so I mean, whatever. Tumor's first task on the job wading through the waters of an un- That's such a good quote. He was the only one with academic and engineering training. That <laughs> job. Six flags over Texas. Already. So basically he's the only actual engineer of the company ever had. You know, only what? What is this 15 years after they started? Roller coaster building or designing experience, Ron Tumor sketched out and designed a runaway mine train. The first million dollar attraction outside of Disneyland. And it was a runaway hit. <laughs> the mine train. Uh, Here we go. We got another expert hot take. It was just huge. So much so that every theme park that opened after Six Flags Over Texas, they demanded one. They wanted a mine train roller coaster. That was the state of the art in the 60s and the 70s. And until Arrow brought in the looping inversions, mine train coasters created a genre that they still enjoy success today. Everyone loves them. Over the next five years, the company built five... Holy shit. Did you see that? There was like three people sitting in a row. Six Flags Over Georgia... Six Flags Over Mid-America, Cedar Point, and Magic Mountain in Southern California. Tumor was quoted as saying, Given enough time, space, and money, I can design and we can build just about anything the park can dream up. Pushing it I beg to differ. Is what a thrill <laughs> I don't think Tumor was the man for that job. With their string of successes, however, came devastating news. On December 15th, 1966, the company lost its greatest champion, and the world lost Walt Disney, only three months before his masterpiece was completed. On March 18th, Pirates of the Caribbean, the theme park world was awestruck when they first experienced Walt's magnum opus, Pirates of the Caribbean. Is it Caribbean or Caribbean? I don't know. Having steered the company since its initial inception... Yeah, I don't know either. I just... I, Bacon decided it I never know how to say it. The company. Under the financial guidance of the Harvard... There's that music again. Souls, ...the company went from fledgling startup to profitable powerhouse. Shoals was instrumental... That dude smoking a pipe makes me want to hit it ad. <laughs> yeah, I might take a hit. Streets, ...railroad. Ed's son, Dana, stayed with the company to lead it what a daddy and lead engineer Ron Tumor. <laughs> With the sale to Rio Grande, Arrow had the power of a railroad behind it and a potentially unique opportunity. Ownership of a local theme park to showcase their latest attractions. That park was Frontier Village in San Jose. During this period, 
Despite hindrances from their new corporate owners, Arrow was still able to debut several new ride experiences, including the steeplechase. No shit, they made it. They made the steeplechase. Damn, that's a single rail roller coaster. Hydro. Yeah. Fuck you, RMC. And the spillway drop. Well, I mean, Shilky those are really a big fun. part in the Arrow story. But no that's true. A lot later on, as a small, pretty sure right up to the end, that was inspired from an airplane flight. Looping roller coasters were nothing new to the amusement industry. People had been looping the loop since the turn of the century, but those rides all had a fatal flaw. Literally, if they didn't cause severe neck injuries, they'd find that one looked pretty good. I know, I know that they say that the looping coasters back then were dangerous, but I thought there was like one that was actually legit, like the flip flap or something. Into an elongated barrel roll. I don't know, man. Force on the riders, just like in a stunt plane. Even that one doesn't look all that safe. Vertical loop and stretch it out. The name for the new element: a corkscrew loop. After sketching out an initial design and building several skits. The funny thing is that drawing of it, it looks pretty close to how it actually is. Yeah, dude, that'd be an awesome poster. Historic Giant Dipper, a wooden roller coaster at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. Sharp-eyed riders will notice that the first drop and pullout on the corkscrew is identical to the Giant Dipper's. Never one to waste money on a doomed project, the company first built a quarter-scale replica just to make sure it dude a quarter scale replica is actually pretty badass because that's still pretty big test after test showed that it, it was like a connects coaster so arrow got to work building a test yeah to see if it scaled up and the two people who would ride it for the first time dana morgan along with company architect norm scott what we did is that we had we had run it a couple times, but we didn't have a complete track, and so you you had to pull it backwards up the lift. Oh my God! Lift, if you will. So I had taken the competition seat belts out of my race car and put them in because we had not yet developed the over-the-shoulder restraint. We were still working on that. I can remember like it was yesterday because it looked at the warehouse. Good lord! The sensation was that the warehouse turned over twice. I mean, we never felt being upside down, really. That was a fantastic experience to to be the first one to do that. After giving test rides for several months, the ride was sold and shipped to Marion Anderson, daughter of Walter Knott. Yeah, it looks pretty awesome. Like, like I think it would be cool to have the, like what it, or to know what it was like to ride those when they were brand new. Not only the first modern looping roller coaster, but the first to invert riders... Because I bet they were probably a little smoother. ...cost of only $700,000, the corkscrew model... Yeah, I bet they were awesome, because if you contextualize it, like, there weren't really roller coasters that went upside down. Corkscrew's development also led to new... Yeah, I mean, that's all you have, is, like, that's an inverting roller coaster. And it's steel, it's tubular steel, it's futuristic. The loop... And, like, also, unless you're, like... And a coaster enthusiast then even then you might not like have ever seen something like that 
Yeah. That looked like double loop at Geauga Lake. That added an arrow, attendance soared. If your local park didn't have an arrow coaster, it just wasn't good enough. And so when we saw these structures, it was amazing. Turn of the century was absolutely epically sized. And so over the years, you know, they continued to, to make little changes on it. My favorite roller coaster for all time. It, it, it combined everything that you want. In 1978, Busch Gardens Williamsburg, then known as Busch Gardens, the old country, unleashed what is considered by many to be the most beautiful steel roller coaster of all time. He said beautiful, right? <laughs> yep. It's been a unique uh, coaster for us for years. It's another one where it has a 48-inch uh, ridership, so a lot of people can ride uh, still at that height. And it's been uh, a good, consistent coaster for us. It's always... He's saying a lot of words that sound like other words because of his accent. <laughs> Do you notice that? All over the world to ride the Loch Ness monster, and it's unique. And it was like <laughs> looping coaster. Yeah. Country, so it, it has a unique. Like he said, still like steel. Also, like it's steel standing, or or the other way around. And then he was like, and their tubulars for us. He said it like forces. Gemini. The coaster forces. Coaster was not only the world's tallest when it debuted, it was also engineer Ron Toomer's all-time favorite. He was really proud of Gemini. Loved that. <laughs> one, uh, yeah, he did. That was a fantastic coaster. It still is. Dude, the video's out of focus, and they're using an internal mic. And he said, you know, the first time they ran that coaster for a test run, the trains left and came back exactly at the same time. And the guy from the park that was there said, wow. He says, I can't believe that happened. And my dad said, well, that's how I designed it. Arrow would also go back to modify their turn-of-the-century roller coasters at the Twin Ejector, in Santa except for that one. And Gurney, Illinois, to include... Yeah, the first drop on this one isn't as good. They were really? The next year... Yeah, I think they actually modified it to take out the airtime. So, like, you know how, like, you pretty much still know Demon on the back of your hand just because of, like, riding it so many times? Yeah, there's that crazy-ass arrow airtime at the first drop. Yeah, so, like, that's in your mind, and I rode it in the last car in the front row. And then, like, you're going down the drop, and it's not there, and it's really weird. And then you're kind of, like, mad. It's like the whole ride, I was like, oh, shit, like, it's, like, I'm just, I'm, I'm disappointed. Instead of wooden ones. But the prototype didn't work as planned. Oh, this story's so good. Darius was the one that was with me, and and off we went, and went around successfully part of the way, but in an area where um, they couldn't see us, all of a sudden we just crashed, and um, there were parts flying everywhere. Well, of course, we're quite a ways above the ground. I forget just how high, but it was oh pretty my high. God. I remember that, and uh, Jan and I were just speechless. We couldn't say anything because we were pretty scared at what had just happened and somehow <laughs> was able to get from the track to the swinging basket and then they lured <laughs> us down on that but uh, yeah it was a very memorable time <laughs> in the parking department <laughs> development. 
around the same time. That sounds like it could have been such a worse accident. Yeah, like they could have been really hurt. Of the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. See if they Ejected off the track. Broker and manufacturer of rides for the European market. Vacoma would build the track while Arrow would supply the track. And then that story would have never been known. Arrow would have closed the lot earlier. So far as to send two <laughs> engineers to Holland for six months just to show Vacoma their manufacturing process. Or, wrong song. America, fuck yeah. yeah. The new coaster design was beginning to take shape. That looks awesome. These coaster mm -hmm. cars would hang below the track instead of sitting on top of it. It's like, yeah, fuck you, Vacoma. Through the turns. You're never going to get this idea, too. Still before computer-based simulation. Prototyping was critical. Oh, God. <laughs> it, the thing is, like, it looks like it would have ridden so awesome, but, it, but you can just tell it's fucking up the track. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, how many rides could it give before one time the track just undid itself but it's like oh you didn't know we're building disposable roller coasters now opened. it had to be closed <laughs> then it was open <laughs> the trains placed immense strain on the unbanked track it looks so badass though dude that ride looks amazing and violent swing the issues in the design <laughs> Oh man, if you if you're alive and have still ridden if you've ridden this and you're still alive, shut down in I want to know your life story. Promptly torn down. Arrow had experienced its first major failure, and now was on the brink of insolvency. Yeah, it's too bad because like I bet if you have ridden it, you if that's like your number one, I mean. At the same time that Arrow yeah, I bet it had crazy ass Arrow airtime in that first draft. Industries was looking for mm -hmm. a buyer to help them exit the amusement park business. One finally appeared, Hoos Fabric, a German amusement ride manufacturer. Yahoo's new name, Arrow Hoos. That seventies ass logo. Yeah. I have Arrow Hoos advertisements in my parents' house. Manager of the Santa Cruz Beach Board. That's what I was saying when I wrote Arrow a letter when I was like eleven years old, and they sent me all this shit back. to manager and vice president of. That's pretty awesome. Like their employee newsletters and pamphlets and stuff. Arrow moved most of its offices out of California. You should like scan them, man. Here to the Freeport Center in Cleveland, totally. Utah. After discovering oh, it took him that long to discover why it failed? Once again, Yeah, they found it literally was twisting and bending the track because the track was so flat it wanted to bend the track back into the swinging position. And most beloved roller coasters of all time. You start talking to people, you hear things you think made it unique and innovative in terms of the low height requirement so families could enjoy it, kids could ride on it, the swinging coaster style, you know, kind of going through the European village real fast, and this iconic uh, backdrop that you see behind me of how it dropped down towards the, the Rhine River. You put all those things together. Something pretty special. Something pretty special. 1984 also marked a turning point for the company. It's also kind of nice about Aero suspended coasters is that the shitty transitions don't really matter because the rides it can't be rough because of the swinging. They could save on steel. They should have uh, stuck to that kind of design. 
but the plan figured something else out to do with it began building their own trains and manufacturing a variant of Aero's track <laughs> design for themselves Vacoma debuted their first boomerang shuttle loop coaster that year and Aero's once revered skill and trade secrets were all yeah Aero that's why they're called trade secrets rival who used their technology <clears throat> and know-how while 1983 marked the departure of Dana Morgan, who would leave Arrow to form his own company called... He's like, fuck it, I'm out of here. Arrow was <laughs> another president soon after Morgan's departure when payments for rides for the 1984 World's... Yeah, I imagine, like, Darien Lake theme park honestly, like, in that company, it was probably a lot of, like, people that were there from the start. And so being a young person... And to help it was probably really difficult. Everything, like being young and educated in that company, it was probably really difficult to stay Arrow and keep your head on. Bankruptcy in November of Not go insane. And it was the first time the company did not exhibit at the annual. Sounds like every manufacturing company I've worked for. In the wake of the bankruptcy, actually, all the bad ones. Over a year on a plan to help Arrow emerge from the ashes. Reborn under a new name, Aerodynamics, with Ron Toomer as the president, the company was ready to carry on the legacy which was forged in Mountain View some 30 years before. First on the list, another suspended coaster, Iron for Cedar Point. Then, a do-over for Kings Island, the six-inversion Vortex, which used the station and some footers from the back. He said footers really weird. Shockwave followed in 19... Yeah, Shockwave. Six Flags Great America, breaking Vortex's world records. Yeah, it's too bad. Only to be matched by the Great American Screen Machine. At Six Flags Great I did get to ride that though in 2010. I'm very lucky. Culminating with the biggest and baddest of them all, the seven inversion Viper. Yeah, I rode Six Screen Machine in Mountain. 08. <clears throat> I've ridden this both times I've been to Magic Mountain and never enjoyed either. I liked Scream Machine, and I liked Shockwave. <laughs> the new Arrow also continued its proud tradition of experimenting with two very different coaster concepts. Oh my god. The first. They all sat on one side. Real. That's probably why they... ...spinning tubs and sharp curves. It ultimately <laughs> abandoned after tests showed stress cracks in the vehicle bodies. The other concept, the Pipeline Coaster, received far more media attention. A full-size prototype was built in Utah, but was eventually scrapped when the main supports were found to... For the loads. For the loads. <laughs> Despite these failures, Arrow was about to break into yes. a new coaster stratosphere. Ron Toomer always had appreciation. Look at that airtime and those giant-ass cars. Rides. Going so fast, too. With no seatbelts or lap bars. Were both elegant and thrilling. And Toomer thought that he might be able to... So, I, so this, that piece of footage was used so much in TV shows as a kid, I remember. Already a park with several... And, like, being a young kid, I was really dumb. So I was like, 
How did they make the ride to go to get or roll that slow? CEO Dick Kinzel was hearing about <laughs> like I thought it was actual speed that were less about loops but. and more about pure height and speed. He contacted Arrow asking for a 187 foot tall ride. Arrow, however, convinced Kinzel to up the ante by 18 feet to 205 because they thought the ride could be more marketable. On May 6, 1989, the world entered the hypercoaster era with the debut. And they made up a new charge for going over 200 feet. <laughs> it's very hard to convey what an impact the ride had on people's psyches. To the point that I very much so remember the very first time I saw Magnum. It was 1989, come from a family of thrill seekers. This, I could totally see this. Point like we normally do. And we're so excited to ride this. <clears> like how big it would look driving on, up to the. We're thrill seekers. On the peninsula. We drove out onto the causeway and we saw Magnum peeking up above the trees and the car went silent. There was no more bravery. There was no more I can't wait to ride. All we could think was. Yeah, this is like the only ride I would be legitimately. And it's sad to admit. With coasters 300, 400. <laughs> that I would be upset about it. Limit. It's so hard to understand what an impact that made. But in 1989, 200 feet might as well have been somewhere to the moon. It was incredible. And it was really well, the cannon shot that began. Better be ready to book a flight to Cleveland. Everything changed. Yeah, just buy it like uh, like a Southwest Anytime Fair. Of a mile just keep it in there for good, you know emergencies. Records. It smashed through them. For five years, it held the title of the world's... I think I would actually do that. I would take three days off. How fast can we get... And just ride it for three days straight. Get Fast Lane Plus and everything. It was the coaster that started it all. And for... It's the only ride I would do this for. Cedar Point, Arrow became the hero. Because we so proud of this ride. Good party favors. Around the world. It was just an absolutely incredible to be reckoned with in this park. It's I don't know when we're going to drop this episode, but we should definitely do Coaster Mania next year. Scream. There was nothing quite like it. Yeah, it'd be fun to go back for that. For taller and faster hypercoasters. And Toomer's engineers were more than happy to assist. In 1990, a small, traditional trolley park just outside of Pittsburgh contacted Arrow with a question. Could they create a coaster that could utilize the park's unique terrain? It's like, we can. Do you want it? Cause <laughs> like, uh, what, what is terrain? <laughs> 200-foot lift. A 200-foot lift in Kennywood wasn't realistic for two reasons. One, we didn't have the ground space because 200 feet high means you have to kill that much energy. And when you have that much length, Kennywood couldn't afford the product. And one night I was dreaming and said, but if you put the 200-foot drop in the middle of the ride, you don't build up additional energy and you overcome two problems. And I came out the next morning and went straight and looked at the Thunderbolt and ordered some gateway engineering surveying done to see if the idea... That's pretty cool. That's actually like... When it opened, that's got to be a really sad story, kind of. Phantom I mean, think about it. Like, became not only the imagine any park were to have built this ride, and it would have been super badass. But the ride did not last. You know what I mean?
Yeah. Like that should have been like the Raging Bull or the Magnum or Colossus or whatever. After creating a new style of track that utilized it was like done in backbone. Walter what, nine years, eight years or something? Two of the company's best engineers decided that they should start their own company, aptly named B&M. When Batman The Ride opened at Six Flags Great America, the amusement world... I like how they just glossed over Iron Wolf people and Vortex and Vortex and Top Gun. And... So they could navigate tighter turns. And most important... No, not Top Gun. The ride was smoother. Much smoother. Due to B&M's... That was kind of it. It was just Iron Wolf. In spite of being... Vortex and Vortex. Per foot as was Vortex? Oh, yeah, yeah. B&M's were selling like hotcakes. Continuing their reach for the sky, Arrow built the aptly named Big One for Black... I heard that ride's very overrated. Yeah, it's like expecting... You're expecting something to happen. So being a big Magnum fan, I was like really excited to ride it as a kid. And so I remember like being like, what the fuck? There's no airtime. And then the whole ride just being really disappointing. It was fun, but it's more like a, it's like a mind train, really. Being designed for Kennywood, Bush Gardens in Virginia was once again looking for a manufacturer to bring their latest creation to life. Through a complicated set of circumstances, Arrow's new rival, B&M, had dropped out of a custom coaster project for the Williamsburg Park, leaving Bush searching for a new manufacturer. Already home to two wildly successful steel coasters, Arrow would officially take the reins of Drakenfire in 1992. The custom layout and elements. <laughs> it's like once once Arrow started. Oh, oh, this this interview, this interview. It was proof that we couldn't keep up. This is where he gives like the passive that our train could not jab do things that B and M could do. So every time you had something where your low rail changed, you would have a bad transition. You just there's just no way to make that smooth. We just could not make make the ride smooth enough. Like he probably. The ride's transitions were... Like, he was the one engineer who, like, was just like, no, it's not going to work. Don't do it. Park had to remove one of the corkscrews. After several seasons of... They're like, look, we can beat B&M. ...was closed in 1998 and remained closed until it was finally dismantled in 2000. Everyone in the office was like, wow, they actually built it? ...and finally found the limit to what their 40-year-old track design could handle. <laughs> By the late 1990s, aerodynamics fortunes were floundering once again. They needed something new, something different, something revolutionary. They needed to return to their roots as innovators, and they began the process by designing a custom coaster for Dollywood. That red looks awesome. Wait, you haven't been on it? ...modified version of Arrow's time-tested track... No, it was closed when I was there. ...completely different support... Yeah, that ride's really good. It's just super short. ...design, Tennessee Tornado was distinctly un-Arrow-like. The cost-saving, so-called cookie-cutter elements seen on prior Arrow... And the fun thing is, like, what I liked about it was that it still rides like an Arrow. ...loops were... ...but it's just smooth. ...in their place were completely new... <clears throat> ...a 110-foot-tall loop and a sidewinder... Found nowhere and that whatever that is that most important butterfly element experience iron was whatever it's called the jerky it's pretty forceful arrow rides were eliminated 
thanks yeah, to like this loop and then this inversion. When it opened, April 17th, 1999, Tennessee Tornado I grayed out. of the amusement ride legend. Because that was hungover. Really? Aerodynamics <clears throat> couldn't have come fast enough. So when I just got there, there was a, a team of us, I'd say, that were working on how to make track a different way and how to analyze track a different way so that we weren't stuck making the same elements over. We could expand and, and do different things. And uh, that's what led to the Dollywood coaster with those were the first non-standard aero loops. So we were writing new programs uh, and new stuff to no limits. giant loops and, and different things easily as opposed to like, because before that, if somebody wanted to make a loop that was bigger than the one they made, I mean, they'd spend weeks you know, trying to make a loop and analyzing it. And we turned that into something you just do, you know. Yeah, it's like going from Roller Coaster Tycoon to No Limits. As long as they innovate. And competition from the European firms was still very fierce. So you don't like Viper? The company was known for its large multi-looping No, dude, it's always beat the shit out of me. Those designs was thin. In order to survive, Arrow had to think... I like Viper for the front car. When you go through the double loops, Tennessee tornado get some good G-forces. ...to resurrect a classic coaster design, the Wild Mouse. Popular during the 1950s, Wild Mice had small cars, sharp turns, and... I think she's wearing Patagonia, those were minions. ...many smaller parks could easily afford. <laughs> if Arrow could sell ten or more, they'd be able to make a profit. The first Wild Mouse debuted at Myrtle Beach Pavilion in 1998. Unfortunately, Arrow's mice were so well-built, they were a bit overkill, prompting some industry experts to joke, if there's ever a natural <laughs> on an Arrow mouse. The extra materials drove costs up oh my God. a million dollars and put it out of the reach of the smaller parks that Arrow was targeting. Only four Arrow mice were ever built, one of which runs at Great America, oh, yeah. California. I don't know why they didn't build this. also brought the company's aerobatic design, which was first revealed at the IAPA Industry Trade Show in November Oh, those are extra strains. Utilizing a similarly sized train to their wild mouse, only inverted or <laughs> track, the aerobatic could take tight turns and drops. And it was flexible, offering a sedate family ride or an extreme thrill ride, whichever it looks awesome. wanted to be. It was all the buzz at the IAPA trade show that year. But no one bought it. Combined with the lackluster sales on the wild mouse design, Arrow was still searching for the right park to do something new, different, and one of a kind. They found that partner in the hills above Los Angeles. In the hills of Los Angeles. <laughs> for their upcoming season, then Six Flags president Gary Story flew to Salt Lake City in the year when I drove there and during a um, asked to meet Arrow two years ago airport conference room there were the what there was a wildfire <laughs> those wildfires were going on Arrow rides like on the way to the park park so you're just like driving through mountains of fire for something that nobody had ever seen before it was weird none of the proposals piqued his interest so engineer damn that's crazy dug through his backpack where he found a demonstration. He comes in at, containing a with a CD from his backpack. Coaster. Ford check this. Radically yeah, check He's this like, shit Hold on, out. man. Passengers sat outside the rails, and the trains could spin around their horizontal axis, rolling the passengers like a log. He's still mm -hmm. the new guy at this point. 
no one had ever seen anything like it before. They're like, all right, newbie. Yeah, look how small that original design was, and then look at that. Size of the ride that Arrow was proposing. This was for Six Flags Magic Mountain. It was going to become the banner coaster that drivers would pass on their way to the parking lot. It would also sit next to Arrow's massive Viper looping coaster, itself a record breaker. I mean, that area right there is definitely like a tribute oh, yeah. to Arrow. Also make Magic Mountain the numerical king of coaster parks in the world. It had to command attention. It had to be bigger, much bigger. When we started the project, we weren't looking to build a 200-foot-tall coaster. The idea was, hey, we can do something with seats that spin. And we don't need to make the biggest, giantest coaster ever. We can make something small and reasonable. But when it came to placing the ride, they had picked the, the location at Magic Mountain. And uh, he said, this is going to be prominent, and I don't want a small coaster. That wasn't our intention for the ride. It wasn't what we thought we wanted to sell. But when somebody gives you an order to sell a dream ride, um, you do what he says. The research and design work would... This is how Alan Chilkey gets his credit back. But they didn't have a choice. They couldn't live on part sales, and the smaller coasters just weren't selling. That is pretty cool, not like knowing the backstory of that ride. Like, that, that actually makes it pretty... That's pretty fun. Work began immediately on the full-scale ride. The resource strain was immense. Arrow simply couldn't build such a massive ride and pay the bills at the same time. Midway through construction, Arrow officially filed for bankruptcy on December 3rd, 2001. So that bankruptcy, Arrow had uh, not finished fabricating all the steel for this ride. And we were at a point, Six Flags was at a point, where uh, we could not just simply walk away from what we had started. So it was incumbent on me and my team to go in and pick up the pieces that Arrow had left and finish. Those supports are pretty crazy, like Get now looking at them. Get it put up and uh, and operate it, and we did that. And it was it was a, one of the most highest of the personal satisfaction. And he came all over it. Was getting this ride up and running with the team that I had to work with. <laughs> the world he took shit on the rail at Six Flags Magic Mountain on January twelfth of two thousand and two. That ride is, is fucking awesome. <clears throat> While reviews for the ride were out of this world, so also was the estimated cost, which came in at $45 million, making it the most expensive roller coaster. I mean, I bet that, that ride's probably paid off for them because that's still popular. ...development of the trains. When they ended up heavier than expected, the track began to fatigue earlier, keeping the ride down for maintenance more often than it was running. In the midst of their struggles in the amusement industry... Arrow found an unlikely and increasingly rare success closer to home. They won the contract to build the tower for the 2002 Salt Lake City. Well, there you go. Torch. No headbanging on that. Beautiful. A stunning legacy piece. But it wouldn't help fill up Arrow's empty coffers. At the same time, Kennywood, just outside of Pittsburgh and home to the record-breaking Steel Phantom, announced that they would be retiring the Arrow multi-looper partly due to its rough ride. 
the ridership just was not really there anymore. Um, people said the ride was too too rough. And I mean, you can hear if you listen to some of those old videos, uh, a ride where you can't wear earrings is a tough ride to, to handle. God, that video makes it look so aggressive. And roughed up your neck. Um, you know, it, it was it was challenging. Ironically, the company tasked with renovating and rebuilding the Phantom was Morgan Manufacturing, founded by Ed Morgan's son, Dana. Yeah, remember that kid that would you'd always make fun of? Well, fuck you, I just fixed your ride. Took away the four painful inversions and over-the-shoulder <laughs> restraints in favor of airtime hills and lap bars. But he kept the ride's signature element, the dizzying 230-foot drop through the Thunderbolt. In fact, he made it longer. And he did it utilizing the same style of tubular track. Yeah, and he's like, help pioneer. And how long did your guys ride stay up? Was smoother. We sort of integrated the two different um, styles of track construction because we had developed a um, what we would consider <laughs> more sophisticated <laughs> track. And primarily because of the, the use of the computers and the 3D modeling. Effectively sown the seeds of their own demise years oh. earlier when they taught the Yeah, don't let yeah, boomers no manage a company. BM had refined that track further to a level which Arrow could not compete with. Hey guys in Europe, you think you could uh resources build roller coasters for us? Arrow was not about to call it quits. Instead, with the small amount of resources they had left, Arrow decided to bet it all on Vegas. Oh, I didn't know that. The seat design they had worked on for the fourth dimension coaster. Arrow's outlandish fishhook coaster right off the side of the stratosphere was to be nothing short of jaw-dropping. Standing a staggering 750 feet tall, it would dwarf even today's rides in nearly every category. And almost immediately, neighbors cried foul. The city council held planning meeting after planning meeting, and every time, Arrow assumed, as they had done so many times in the past, that everything would just fall into place. But this time, it didn't. Even after the first vote, um, we just thought still, it's like, okay, the first time it went in, they didn't like it, and, uh, you know, we'll just go through some processes here and, and make sure it gets through. I want that the first blueprint low, but behind them. believe that it was, the project still wouldn't go through. And, uh, right, what is that, Gemini? And I think they um, yeah, it was devastating. No, it looked like really uh, the nail in the coffin at Arrow. Arrow's majority shareholder, Hong Kong businessman James T. King. I thought that too. <clears throat> Conrad because Gemini didn't have it didn't have that out of those mini helixes. two thousand two, sensing the end was near, but it was all for naught. This time, Arrow would not survive to ride another day. The company was officially shut down by November 1st of 2002, and all remaining assets were absorbed in auction by Utah-based rival... Stan Chekets was like, ha! As he does his, like, dumb joke. ...had finally fallen. With so many of its rides in the pantheon of classic status and so many others still operating around the world, what is the ultimate legacy of Arrow? How is it possible that so many of their rides have stood up to today's latest thrills? 
I think that they were able to put out reasonably priced rides with innovative tubular steel track, doing the things that they did in that era. Hot take. You know, it was cutting edge. I don't think Arrow will ever be forgotten because they helped the theme park industry become a reality. Without all these great rides that they were coming up with, there wouldn't be the the just resounding success of theme parks in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Without Arrow, it couldn't have happened. They were the principal company that made this industry be able to be successful, to grow. That's the legacy. That's really the push. Is they inspired so many people to do... Bitch. And all the stuff that we base our... Did that in the mic. ...are basically stepping stones of Arrow's... Nancy Bacon Frank. Hardworking dedicated men to building amusement rides, quality rides, and they were not doing it for publicity. They were doing it because they loved it. And we all look up to Arrow, and we all miss Arrow, and know that they were truly a defining point. She loves Arrow. Not only was what meant to the is for like coaster nerd dating, setting new standards, that puts her pretty high up, up on the scale. But it was also what it did for the enthusiasts, and I really do believe it was Arrow that created the incredible, strong, passionate fan base that enthusiasts enjoy today. While Arrow, the company, is no more, the legacy of what was developed in Mountain... Oh, look at that. It's a field now. ...to live on. The elaborate detail that the company... That's actually a really cool model. I want that. ...through the industry as theme parks began to overtake the traditional amusement park and guests began to embrace the idea of... a $600,000. While many of the original Arrow rides at Disneyland have been upgraded, the core pieces are in many cases still the same. I think Disneyland will have the longest running Arrow ride. Oh yeah, definitely. Track that Arrow pioneered on Disney's Matterhorn bobsleds continues. I mean, I mean that one's such a like on most modern steel kind of with one notable ironic exception: earthy rock track construction. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've. Oh fuck! Okay, what coaster is that? Uh, career Arrow. I remember doing. Uh, so the, I'm assuming the station, is it like... Round pipe was the only way to go. And this is, you know, this is the thing that's the ultimate. You can bend it and move it in any direction. But I guess the thing with that is it's very hard to measure because engineers are, are designing the ride around the center of a pipe. And um, you, can't, you can't put a, a tape measure on the center of the pipe. That's the advantage to me of um, the flat track is... We are burning the shape and the table that uh, when we put these boxes together. But wait, couldn't you just exactly put it on the, the engineer has edge of the track, or is that not going to work? I don't know. Wait, I'm not an You're engineer. talking about measuring tubular steel? Back then. And so it all came together with the, the box. Yeah. Well, you can, but it's like not as precise. It makes sense. It's like not as precise. Unless you like. I mean, I don't know. I am nowhere near an engineer. Incorporated into what became the L Loco compact coaster model. Yeah, it's just a little harder to measure. In 2008, albeit with the company that purchased Arrow, SNS. And the fourth dimension coaster would continue to be ordered for two parks in the Far East. 
SNS would also take the You can totally tell the roughness of the ride based by like with Rocky Mountain the visible shaking of people's legs. Nimble 4D style ride that was much closer to aero engineer Alan Schilke's original vision for the concept. The first model, Batman the Ride, debuted at Six Flags Fiesta Texas in 2015. In fact, without Aero's 4D design, Boliger and Mabillard, a Swiss startup that took the industry by storm in the 1990s, may have never attempted their own wing rider design, albeit without <laughs> the rotating seats. For now. Yeah, yeah I don't definitely think not. doing a 4D. If your favorite park already has an Aero ride, they're like, oh, it put that company out of business? <laughs> yeah, no, we're good. Of sales and service at SNS in Utah, the lone person keeping many Aero rides quite literally afloat. Facker. She has taken care of us for 29 years when we needed parts, when we needed information, when we needed drawings, and she's been a blessing for Rick Thacker Williamsburg with the Aero retractions. As for their revolutionary designs, that's a mixed bag. Several of the Aero Megaloopers were sent to the scrap heap in the past decade in favor of B&M coasters. These steel rides, they have a finite... Dude, are these boomers still blaming B&M? But I don't think the tradition, the heritage, will ever truly go away. And that could be any of their rides. Log flumes, carousels, spinning rides. Hopefully all of their roller coasters. The Matterhorn bobsleds at Disneyland Park in Anaheim, California, continues to be Arrow's oldest coaster still in operation, going strong since 1959. While rides such as Viper at Six Flags Magic Mountain... Yeah, see how that park is surrounded by parking lots of offices? ...thrill riders several decades after first debuting. The Loch Ness Monster... continues seems to really shitty. ...Bush Garden, mm. Williamsburg in Virginia... And in addition to being the only interlocking loop roller coaster, the smoothest, it's also one of the smoothest aero loopers still around. That ride's a lot of fun. I was not expecting to like it, but Utah continued to push the limits of what I was. Ex- I was expecting like a ride, you know, like a typical Gerslauer Eurofighter. But it's it's like three times the height. It's it's huge. The oldest kitty speed at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk continued. Yeah, the inner time on the drop crazy. is really fun. One of their original because it's just a clamshell lap bar. Your cars continues to operate at Happy Hollow Parkins <clears> in San Jose. The original Danny the Dragon was retired from Happy Hollow back in 2008 as part of a complete park renovation. However, the updated version, dubbed Danny 2.0, runs entirely on electricity and used molds created from the original. Parts of the original aero-built Danny now grace downtown's <clears throat> annual Christmas in the Park display. The Corkscrew, the ride prototype built at the Mountain View factory that became the first modern looping coaster, was removed from Knott's Berry Farm in 1989, ironically, to make room for a Vacoma boomerang. A ride that used Arrow's track design. Did you see that they put that one on a roof? Life of a steel coaster. You'd probably think that corkscrew. They put that coaster on. Uh, they put what? I think it was the boomerang at Knotts. They sold it and they put it on the roof of some mall in China. Home, just north of Coeur Idaho, at Silverwood. Yeah, it was posted on a. Really? I think someone I saw it on like Sifcam World. Canopy. Oh yeah. No. Shit. Silverwood. Silverwood. 
Yeah. Silverwood. Damn, you don't even know your favorite park? Look at all those mountains in the background. It's fun. <laughs> That's a weird cut. Yeah, that was. Yeah, come to Seattle and go to Silverwood. And ride that old arrow. Yeah, not anything else. Arrow's ultimate legacy. Arrow was a part of the birth of the theme park business. They they were original ride suppliers to Disneyland. They were original ride suppliers to Knott's Berry Farm. They were original ride suppliers to Six Flags and a lot of other parks. So they have been here since the birth of the business. And they they ran up and had a phenomenal run of success. They they created some of the most successful and, and best run really? built rides this industry's ever seen. And that right there is is the legacy that uh, I think anyone would be proud to claim. I mean, you can be a me too company and try to beat people on price, but if you're really going to go out in the industry and 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 grow a company and make it into something special, um, you have to come up with something new and something different, and you have to be able to push all boundaries of what's known and create something that nobody's ever seen. And really, that's I think that's what Arrow showed everybody is that not only that that's what it takes, but uh, that's what sells, that's what people want, that's what the world wants. They want to see something that nobody's ever done before. It, it really set the set the goal in terms of what these other companies have to follow and to mm-hmm. know that if you're going to make this a music right here, though. do something spectacular like they did, you can't just build more coasters. They, they implant memory. I still believe in having you know, last for relevant interviews of relevant people gift i think and who knows how many countless experiences and memories and things were created out of what they built the next time you're on a steel roller coaster cooling down on your favorite flume ride or watching your kids drive their own antique autos and breaking your neck sure to thank the men and women from mountain view next time your head is banging around on a looping coaster Next time you get your earring ripped out and lose an earlobe. Alright, the legacy of aero development. Oh, that's right, yeah, and this is when they couldn't They really couldn't like find a footage or set up footage to get the rides running at the same time. I don't time. understand why they didn't just time lapse it. Yeah. I think it fades like right. Or actually, what they should have really done is probably had X2 running first, because I think it I think it fades out right after the first drop <clears throat> or something. It's like really, it's like really early. Well, they should have just um started it earlier and done a time lapse for a couple hours. Mm-hmm. Then it would have caught a few cycles. Yeah, so like 
Yeah, here's X2. Now it's coming. This music. Oh, there, there's an airplane going across, too. <laughs> <laughs> there's X2. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe they wanted that sunset, but maybe I was wrong. Maybe it was what we were doing that night when we watched it the first time. <laughs> but like, I could have sworn it faded out after, okay, at least they gave it a full cycle. I'm not as... There goes Sean Flaherty in the credits. Ah, uh, Sean. But of course they went on a one train operation day and they couldn't get like, you know, three train ops or something a little more interesting. Have a Six Flags day. Yeah, right. Yeah, because his Viper run it all. No, the, each one has only ran once. <laughs> Maybe they consulted with the park beforehand and were like, the park's like, all right, we'll give you one cycle. I think that it, the lift stopped on Viper halfway up. Did you see that? <laughs> All right. I'm going to pause before it gets to the next thing. What years bring up for recommended? B&M explained. Mine brought up King's Dominion and Lifetime of Memories full documentary. Ugh. Oh, my God, that one. You know what? Should oh, it's we just... Coaster Studios. We should just do... We should just do a reaction to the first part of that King's Island video. Because, like, the first five minutes is really funny. All right. So. Are we, are we still I'm recording? I'm typing in King's Island. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's, let's, do the, let's just do this one. This will be, the, uh, be the episode. Yeah, all right. All right. King's Island, whatever. Uh, what was it? King's documentary. I- It's. I think for me it was the second one, the because uh, it shows that thumbnail of the dude like in the corner. Oh, it's Kings Island riding history to the limits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is on YouTube. Uh, Hold on, <clears throat> I'm bringing it back so we can start at the same time again. Yeah, we'll have to hit play at the same time. All right. So this is on YouTube. The title is King's Island dash writing history to the limits in parentheses full. All right. Play in three, two, one. There's too many colors. <laughs> yeah, this dude probably talked like for four hours. Yeah, I'm sure he did. They're like, so, King's Island, 
uh, you worked there, right? <laughs> I love these. Flash. Look at how many cuts they've already made. <laughs> these, I know that's what I'm saying. The flash cuts. <laughs> it's like two unexciting people that they had to try to make exciting. Yeah, some of the editing in this is so time capsuled. Cringy. Yeah. It's like it's like a middle schooler on Windows Movie Maker. Yeah, it's so funny too. Like the, um, yeah, we're gonna, is this the, to the motorcycle? Oh, yeah, this guy. <laughs> yeah, Ohio coaster people are fucking weird. Yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Wearing cedar fair pullover in the ponytail. That does not look like a nice hotel. Like, is this necessary? Imagine how awkward it was. Seriously. Imagine how awkward it was for him to be like, or how cringy it was for the employee. Be like, hey, we're going to film a documentary. Can we film a scene where I'm walking in and checking into my room? Because <laughs> you don't need to show that. Because now you're like, yeah, I got a hotel room. And invited this dude over. We did an interview or something. I don't know. It just seems kind of creepy. And just unnecessary. Yeah, dude, that's cringy. It kept flooding, but they were like, well, you know. <laughs> I had, I, oh shit, you know what? I had a book um, as a kid that had a picture of that ride and it actually looked pretty cool. Like the paint, the paint of it, it had like a really weird track color. I need the RCDB that right now. Bitch. It's called Shooting Star. First one. I don't know. I didn't see it. Yeah, that actually looked like a really cool ride. Yeah, it was like an out and back. Nice. All right. How far did we get into this one the first time? Way too far. Yeah, 
Yeah, so I'm I opened this video in another tab and I was scrubbing through the video and it's like literally 90% of the content is just this. It's like his, his image, like him the two like his image is like when you scrub through it really quick back and forth, it's like mostly just him. <laughs> That's hilarious. So, this documentary sucks. Yeah, and so now it's just more of a challenge of when do we close out and go to something else. Oh, no, we got something new. Look at that. Look at that font. Look at that font movement. This guy worked in the adult industry at some point. Oh, really? You can look at him and tell. <laughs> so it's really fun is when you mute the video and you just like make up shit that he's probably saying. It's actually really, that could be like a whole new thing. Just video clips of this guy okay. muted. Actually... All right, coming up. Six minutes and at six minutes. Mute. All right, go build that shit. Well, uh, well, I I was saying, you know, well, we got this green picnic table in the backyard. And uh, I was sitting there the other day looking at this color. And I was like, wow, this this matches the grass. We're on the grass right now. And so I was like, why, why don't we bring more grass in, in, into the park? And and I noticed that that in the front parking lot, there there was not a, as much grass. So so I so I told Dana in accounting, let we 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 need to get more grass in here right now. Like we need to get good grass. <laughs> hey, check out that Corvette that's not mine. I'm going into this law office in those or whatever. Acid, what what the. F- Excuse me, does Doc the Bounty Hunter live here? Because I love him. Did you see that neon sign? Ah! Something. Creepy Uncle Dennis. (laughs) Yeah, don't let this kid sit on your lap. Or this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Don't let him sit on your lap. Don't let your kid sit on his lap. Don't invite him for holidays. Yeah, I remember going to Kings Island when I was a kid. A couple times something (laughs) bad happened. Anyway, (laughs) I love going to Kings Island. I I was there with with my Uncle Paul. And um, Paul and I, we had an interesting relationship. Um. He, he wasn't really family. He just was kind of like a family friend. And so we're driving and Paul, Paul puts his hand on my knee sometimes when we're driving. And I, we went into this creepy hotel. We stayed at this <laughs> hotel. I can't. <laughs> yeah, I remember Dennis. Dennis and I used to hang out with this guy. 
Look at all those people walking. Doesn't even look like an amusement park. Yeah, you think Gold Pass is bad? <laughs> you didn't see the ship we were pulling back then. Could you believe that we made people walk like three quarters of a mile to to the to the gate and uh And they didn't have Twitter to complain about it. What's up with that guy's nose? <laughs> the creepy dude. The porn, it's the porn the star Brothers. guy that you're saying who worked in the adult industry. Is, is he the one with the glasses on? No, dude. That was the Blues Brothers. I forgot that was actually a thing. Like, it was probably... What? No, this is still 70s. Look at that neck. Look at all these old white men. Well, at that point, I told my good buddy Glenn, Glenn, you want to go out for breakfast? And he said, where do you feel like going? And I said, ha, we got to go over to Irma's diner. And he said, what? And I said, Irma's Diner. And Glenn said, do they have eggs? And I said, they're a diner. I think so. And Glenn said, I can't eat eggs. And I said, well, that's okay, Glenn. They have other things on the menu. So, at that point... I tried to pull up the menu to the restaurant using the the iPhone my family recently got me, but I couldn't figure out how to do it. At that point, I gave up. It was a good fight. I don't know how to work these damn things. So Glenn and I went to Irma's diner, and it turns out that their brunch menu is completely different than their breakfast menu. Even though Glenn couldn't eat eggs, he still wanted eggs. But they weren't serving them at that time. See, it was the best diner in the entire area of Indiana, Ohio, and Kentucky. But their menu changed frequently. That's a butthole. <laughs> that's a butthole. Yeah, that's that's a butthole right there. They just drew wow. an asshole right there across Ohio, Indiana, and Kentucky. Now, we didn't we didn't have a marketing department and uh we just kind of took black and white photos of children and posted them around the town and with <laughs> and put them in the newspaper and just kind of hope that you know we could get publicity that way and then so we hired somebody to do our marketing we're like oh this shit works and that's how we got the name out about the park i'm losing where i was going with that this dude is this is literally So if you think about it at that point, we had a park 
that we were trying to sell, but the park wasn't sold yet. So, I called a lunch with my good friend Dana from Arrow. <laughs> dude, this old dude can talk. Uh, I'm done with this video. I think I'm done with this video. Uh, yeah, me too. How much can you handle? Tweet us. We made it 13 minutes in. Well, let's see. We're at over an hour and a half. Yeah. What did... I think we got a yeah, pretty I was good. Say like, what did you go ahead? Think other or what were you? No, I think we got a pretty good episode here. So, uh, since this is a canned episode, we'll cut right to the end. We're going to give tribute to a dead ride. Ben, it's your pick. What Let's ride are we paying tribute to? Do, well, we watched the Arrow documentary. How about Great America Scream Machine? All right, man. Formerly at and then they uh, built Six Flags Great Adventure. Green Lantern. Formerly Chang. I'd rather have yeah. Chang was weird. It was uh, it was Mantis, but because it wasn't rough, it was just boring. Almost like the roughness of Mantis made it more interesting. I thought Mantis was pretty boring, but I thought Chang was pretty boring too. Yeah. I don't know. I liked Great American Screw Machine though. I got to ride that in 2008. Yeah, it was a good ride. I got to ride it in the front row and then rewrote it like a station re-ride. I wonder if nice. that's still a thing. Yeah. Yeah, that ride did have like a long queue line. Actually, I'm just thinking about that. Like, was that more of a Six Flags thing over a Cedar Fair thing of the station rerides? Yeah, because yeah. I think like Six Flags doesn't care as much. The only time I've been able to do that was during like. Yeah. Really late ERT at Cedar Point. But it's Six Flags, normally if you're there and it's not busy, if you ask, yeah. you can Yeah, like we, riding. so, yeah, we, we got that on Scream Machine. Um, so we got like three rides on it. And then we went to El Toro. Which is amazing. <clears throat> but yeah, screw machine. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I drink already drank that, my man. drinks. So I'm feeling it. All right. Well, 
we're going to call it there at that point then. Make sure you email us your questions to yourfavoritecoastersucks at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at CoasterYour or search for Your Favorite Coaster Sucks. Same deal with Instagram at Your Favorite Coaster Sucks. Search for us, find us. Um, we have a Facebook, you are Favorite Coaster SUX. Go like us there. Um, please, of course, comment and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening to this on. It really helps us out a whole lot. And if you're feeling generous, we do have a Patreon available through our favorite coaster sucks. So, it's gonna do it for now. Until next week. You ready for this one, Ben? I'm I'm there. I'm there. Your, Your favorite favorite coaster sucks. <laughs> Oh,